I feel like crying when I see what's going on in all this political rhetoric out there, but I'm looking for clarity. And uh, one of the guys that I think can bring us some clarity on this whole climate change narrative is Don Watkins. He is the editor of Alex Epstein's book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And thank you to to, uh, Liberty Oilfield Services for underwriting this show. Uh, Don Watkins, we talked to you last month. It's great to have you here again. Great to be here again. Uh, The G7 just met and, uh, you know, they talked a lot about climate change. And you guys have a very important piece on your website, industrialprogress.com, where you state that energy poverty, not climate change, threatens poor countries. And so I'm going to ask you the first question that's here. It says, don't people in wealthier nations who are less impacted by climate have a moral obligation to address climate change for the sake of people in poor countries that are very vulnerable to climate change? How do you respond, Don Watkins? Well, anytime people make this point that it's poor countries that suffer most from climate change, it's revealing in the sense that if the real problem, if the fundamental problem was the climate, then there's no reason why poor countries should be affected more. But the the very reason why they are affected more is precisely because it's our ability to cope with climate that matters more than anything. And how do we have the ability to cope with climate? Well, it's through energy, technology, and wealth. And as a result of energy and technology and wealth, we've seen climate-related deaths decrease by 98% over the last 100 years. We are much better at being able to, you know, with indoor heating, indoor cooling, irrigation, the ability to transport water and food to disaster areas, to build sturdy buildings. We have this enormous power underlied by our ability to harness incredible amounts of affordable energy that has made us safe from climate. And so what we should really want for the poor world, if even just on terms of climate, let alone all of the other benefits, is that they have industrialization underlied by affordable energy. And yet it's the people saying that that we are in a climate crisis that requires energy restriction who are saying that poor countries should not be using increasing amounts of fossil fuels. Okay, so as we break this down then, uh, this whole climate change policy doesn't look to me like it's trying to lift people up in poor countries, but possibly push people down in, um, you know, the wealthier nations. Uh, And in fact, you may not have seen this, but just last at the end of last week, Governor Polis out here in Colorado issued an executive order stating that Colorado would be 100 percent renewable by 2040. And, you know, as you realistically, I don't think that that is possible without slowing the economy down. So instead of raising people up, it's going to push people down from what I can see, Don. What do you think? Well, it's not just not possible without hurting the economy. It's not possible because when people refer to renewables, almost always these plans exclude nuclear power, which is the only reliable form of non-carbon energy that that is available at scale. And so the, to have a 100% renewable means we're going to 100% rely on the sun and the wind. But because those are intermittent sources, they need to be backed up. And that almost is always from fossil fuels and, and typically natural gas. The only way you could have 100% wind and solar grid is if you had storage and yet that is insanely unaffordable 
and that's why there's no grid on Earth. It's anywhere close to 100% renewable. And what I don't, what I want is not 100% renewable, but what I want is the best form of energy for human life, including prosperity, including our ability to cope with climate. And for most of mankind today, and for the foreseeable future, that is going to come from fossil fuels. Well, and you know, it seems to me like that would be our goal uh, as. Um politicians and, and bureaucrats and, you know, just every, everyday people, it seems like we would be working towards what can we do to help people thrive and and prosper. But yet, I, Don, I'm seeing so many policies that look to me like they're going to hurt everyday hardworking people. Well, I think a lot of what's going on is that, yes, if you ask people, like, don't you think we should do what's best for people's ability to flourish now and into the future, they would agree to that. But that's not our default way of thinking, because we've been basically indoctrinated with the idea that when we're thinking about environmental issues, that our goal should not be human flourishing, but to minimize human impact on the planet. And if you have that as your ideal, well, that ideal goes against our ability to harness energy. Because if you set aside the specific side effects of something like fossil fuels, just energy per se is our ability to transform nature and make a big footprint. Like, even if you had, you know, 100% solar and wind, what are you doing with that? You're still building buildings, building roads. You're creating all sorts of infrastructure, which is exactly the kind of thing that Greens don't want. And so what we encourage at the Center for Industrial Progress is that we should have at the forefront of our minds what will allow human beings to flourish. And that definitely includes a livable climate and a good environment. But if that all has to be integrated towards the overall goal of human well-being, which fundamentally depends more than anything on energy. And we can see that in countries that have gone from poor to less poor and to rich. Like if you look at what's happened in China and India over the last few decades, you've had billions of people listed out of absolute poverty and has been, and if you put, if you put a chart of that upward slope, it is correlated almost one for one with their increasing use of fossil fuels, mostly coal and oil. Okay, Don Watkins, I, I have a question for you. It's a philosophical question, so we're going to go to break so you can think about this. But I, I think you've really nailed it. And, and the real question is, is do we want human beings to flourish or do we want to minimize their impact? And what does minimizing impact actually mean? So I think that's a big philosophical question. Let's go to break. When we come back, I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Hey, welcome back. I am Kim Munson, and we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. We are having a conversation with Don Watkins, and he is, uh, is it the executive director with the Center for Industrial Progress? Is that what you... Uh, the director of education. The director of education. And then you are the editor of uh, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels with Alex Epstein, that uh, very important book as well. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody should uh, check it out. Uh, most definitely. So we uh, we came in, we're coming into this break. I left a kind of a big, big question out there. I wanted to let you know that uh, Katie, a mom right here in the metro area, did text me. She said, your guest is right on. Polis's goal is impossible. Uh, so why wouldn't politicians want to do everything possible uh, to support and encourage human flour- flourishing? Well, I mean, if you just look at throughout human history, it's not automatic that people do care about human flourishing. 
That certainly wasn't the goal of the communists or the Nazis. Uh, it wasn't the goal of kind of medieval religious or institutions. It's not the goal of you know the of many parts of the Islamic world today. It is it is really an enlightenment uh, and, and an antiquity sort of oriented value to be concerned with human flourishing, and and but what often happens is that ideals that are contrary to human flourishing, they try to skew or confuse the issue so that you think, well, if I care about human flourishing, I need to be after this. I need to be after this other goal. So if you take the goal of being green, what what our people were originally told was. Hey, look! Don't you care about clean air and clean water? And people say, "Yeah, I care about clean air and clean water." And they said, "Okay, well then you should be green. You should be an environmentalist." But what does being green mean? Or what is you know minimizing your impact or minimizing your footprint? Well, I mean, take a few examples that uh, I think intuitively capture what it really means. Because in the end, I don't think it means being anti-pollution. I think it means being anti-development. So if you ask, like. If you had gone back and we were making a decision about whether to turn this kind of empty land into New York City, is that something that the Sierra Club or Greenpeace is going to give a thumbs up or thumbs down to? Well, they'll like, give a thumbs and, down, right? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. They say, no, you're, you're completely destroying wilderness here. Um, and then if you ask, uh, for instance, like, should you have kids? Is that a good decision? Well, if you look at... Um, I think it's Greenpeace. It might be Sierra Club's website. Like they'll point out that you know one of the worst things you can do for your carbon footprint is to have kids. Alex likes to say that you'd be better off just living out of a running Hummer twenty four seven, which I think is exactly right. Um, and so the, it, it's all. It's not about making human beings better off. It's really about not having an impact on nature. It's about wilderness is kind of our ideal. And then if you ask, what is the greener oh, country? Hey, Don, I just, have to ask, I just have to ask you a question. If we, we play that premise out, then ultimately there will be no children, and we will not continue on as a human race, and the wilderness will be the wilderness, but why does it matter? Well, the, I mean, the, the, in the end, the, the kind of arguments that you'll get from the environmentalists who are more philosophic is they'll say nature has intrinsic value. So I'm a humanist. So I'm, to me, nature is valuable for its role in making human beings flourish and helping human beings flourish. And it's both as a resource, but also as a source of pleasure and enjoyment, whether it's animals or whether it's, you know, really beautiful views. So being pro-human doesn't mean that you're saying, let's turn everything into a shopping mall, but it means that you're viewing everything from that question of, how does this relate to human beings' ability to thrive? And But they're genuinely not concerned with human beings' ability to thrive. And that's why, like, if you ask, you know, what's the greener country, North Korea or South Korea? Well, I mean, look at it. North Korea has barely developed. You know, there's, that, there's a satellite uh, picture that you can see where there's all these lights in the south and there's one tiny, you know, dot of light in North Korea. And yet, um, and, and, and so it's, North Korea is definitely greener, has far less of an impact on the planet. And yet, if you ask which one has worse pollution, well, it's North Korea. But South Korea is way better uh, environmental quality. But that's exactly the point. The point is that if you're concerned with pollution, 
you should be concerned with it from a pro-human perspective. But but that but uh, in order to even fight pollution, you have to have lots of impacts. You have to have tons of infrastructure. You have to engage in major development on the planet. And so what I think is that we shouldn't be trying to minimize our impact. We should be trying to maximize our good impacts and minimize any negative side effects from our activities. Well, that's on one hand, that seems like common sense. On the other hand, it seems brilliant. Um, so what do we do? And you know what? I'd never thought about, about that. I've seen that map that you have mentioned where it's a map of uh, the Koreas at night, and you can definitely see the line between so- uh, South Korea and North Korea. But I hadn't ever thought that, you know, in, in this argument regarding impact, supposed uh, on um, being green, that North Korea people don't have electricity, <laughs> they're starving, uh, and, um, you know, so yes, they are, are more green in, in that aspect, but I hadn't thought about the fact that they are actually creating more pollution. And I wanted to make a, no, a, a note. I did some research on a piece that I have published at americhicks.com, and this was regarding the whole electric car thing, is that wind and solar, many of the ingredients that go into that, like lithium and manganese and, and a variety of different minerals that are have to be mined to go into uh, wind and solar, are mined in the Congo. And a lot of those uh, minerals are mined by hand, and many of them by children. So if you know, that doesn't seem like that's real responsible to me either. I just wanted to make a point. I, you want to make a comment on that, Don? Well, I think it's really important that, like, these are not secret facts. Like, anybody who spends some time researching knows that that kind of mining practices, and even if it's not as bad as in the Congo, they're inherently very dirty, very uh, uh, high-impact practices. And what I think that illustrates is you're not getting people really thinking about, yeah, are solar and wind practical, are they clean? That it's that what solar and wind really serve as is a rationalization for banning fossil fuels. So if people want to ban fossil fuels, and how are you going to justify that? Because if you just said, let's deprive ourselves of energy, nobody would agree with you. But if you say, don't worry, we'll have wind and solar solve all our problems. But if wind and solar ever became practical, the Greens would oppose it. And in fact, you already are seeing that in many locations that are trying to build, you know, wind farms as people saying, you know, not in my backyard, which is right. Partly influenced by the green movement, and in fact, we saw this historically. For a while, there was reports that we had um, created uh, nuclear fusion and, and had this, you know, uh, completely new, clean, limitless source of energy. And one of the leading environmentalists at the time said, "This is horrible because, like, what are we going to do with energy? We're going to impact the planet, even though the energy would have been totally clean and super affordable." And so, I think the um, the, the point is that what a person is consistently against impact is not for solar and wind. They're really against any practical form of energy. And as soon as solar and wind become practical, you're going to hear the Greens being the loudest people condemning, well, we can't engage in all of this mining and we can't be scarring the landscape with, you know, uh, mining, yeah. wind turbines, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, solar rays. This is absolutely fascinating. And so what what you have researched, you and Alex and all of you over at the Center for Industrial Progress, is that it really is energy poverty, not climate change, that is threatening poor countries. So if we really care about others, and I do, uh, across the globe, how do we make everyone energy rich? 
Well, I mean, a lot. There's the really fundamental thing, and this is what you know we see in countries like China and India. Is it's not anything that has to be done externally. It comes primarily from reforming your government and increasing the amount of freedom and protection of rights of your citizens. And then what they'll do is they'll one of the things that they'll do is they'll trade. And so it's it will be by the profit motive in increasingly free countries dealing with. Uh, established countries to build, you know, power plants to be able to buy and, and create for themselves uh, different forms of energy. But the core thing that they need is freedom and and capitalism. And then we don't really have to do anything except for engage in profitable trading relationships with them. But our role, I think, is primarily intellectual, moral. It's to say it would be good. It's good for you to industrialize. It's good for you to be free and it's good for you to use the fossil fuels you need to lift yourself out of poverty instead of what we do which is we basically apologize for the fact that we are free and industrialized and then try to shame you know all these other countries and say oh you should just skip over fossil fuels and go right to solar and wind which doesn't work and is impractical even for us to use well, and I was talking to someone in the energy industry that uh, actually had really come from a quote-unquote green background, and uh, she's been working as a consultant in the energy field, and she said exactly what you just mentioned, is that you're starting to see the, um, you know, the, the green environmentalist start to push back on wind and solar as well. And I thought, well, that is really interesting. So here we have Governor Polis in Colorado that is set by, by fiat. Like, be, like being a king says that we are going to be energy independent or excuse me, not energy independent, uh, uh, totally 100 percent renewable uh, by 2040. And uh, in essence, it's impossible. And when you really peel this back like you're doing, Don, is is I mean, it's going to bring us down is, is what I see. Well, I mean, imagine like we really need to take seriously what an achievement fossil fuel is. Imagine if somebody said hey, you know what, we can get along without silicone. We're not going to, you know, uh, we're not going to use it for our computer chips anymore. I've got this great replacement that works wonderfully, so we're going to be 100% free by 2040. You'd say, wait a minute, so much of our life depends on this achievement. You better, like, demonstrate, not just assure me with some claim or some study, that you've actually got a replacement. And, and the way that you demonstrate that is to win in the marketplace, not to ban your competitors. And so insofar as the government has to dictate being 100% renewable, I regard that as proof that being 100% renewable makes absolutely no sense. Because if it did, you wouldn't have to force it down people's throats. Exactly. If it's a great idea, you don't have to force it. So Don Watkins, fabulous conversation. We are out of time. Love to have you back again. I just, uh, these are really important conversations. And so love to get you scheduled again. My pleasure. Okay, and that was Don Watkins with the Center for Industrial Progress. He is the editor for The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, a very important book, and uh, greatly appreciate appreciate that. This show is underwritten by Liberty Oilfield Services, uh, and we're talking about health and hydrocarbons, how hydrocarbons help everyday people thrive and flourish.